Please proceed to the escape wing for evacuation. This is not a drill. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we cover the last seven to ten days in the world of Apple news, reviews, rumours, roundup, gossip, tech, and, well, basically, anything else that catches our eye. This is the Essential Apple Podcast. Indeed it is, and this week, Cassini made a final manoeuvre, crashing into Saturn, ending its 13-year scientific mission. The Muppets in London set off a bomb in the uh, tube station, injuring 29 people, including some children, but thankfully no fatalities as far as I'm aware, and Apple had a very small gathering at the Steve Jobs Theatre to announce some shiny new toys that they had. Uh, Mark is off in Budapest at the moment, enjoying a relaxing break, but I am joined by three guests this week. I have the inimitable Guy Searle from the My Mac podcast. Hello, hey, Guy. and should I, should I make the, the Budapest joke again? <laughs> That's up to you. <laughs> okay. Budapest is a pest that is enlightened. Hurrah! <laughs> okay. Even more genetic the second time. Yeah, well, because I had time to actually think about it instead of just going, ah, Budapest, something funny. <laughs> Uh, as you can hear, I'm also joined by Cutie Mellon, also known as Ruth. Hello. And last but not least, I'm joined by my good friend, Sherman Gossett, who is also known for some of us as Commander Shrew, all the way from Utah. Hello, Sherman. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> so far, terrible. <laughs> Wires let us down. Blah, blah, blimey, Barry couldn't make it. Uh, Dougie called in sick. It's a disaster. What are we going to do? Okay. What are we going to do? We are, of course, going to give our reactions to the Apple event. And uh, I'm very pleased to have Sherman here with us this week because Sherman is most distinctly not an Apple fanboy. He's not an Apple hater. He just doesn't spend his life in the Apple ecosphere like the rest of us. So <laughs> he's going to give us an outsider's view of what Apple Sacrilege. has very much so. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it that we've all uh, we all watched the uh, the event this week from the Steve yes. Jobs Theatre. Yes. Yes. Uh, obviously, yes. Ruth and I watched together. I'm sure that. Mm. Uh, and Sherman, I believe you tried to catch up with it after the event, didn't you? I, I actually, I, I I spent a little bit of time watching it as it was going on, and then I, of course, uh, you know, it was middle of the workday, so I, I kind of had to sneak off and do work things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, we we have the bonus here that when they come on stage in uh, Cupertino, it's six p.m. here, so we can settle down and enjoy two hours in uh, without fear of being reprimanded by the powers that be. So <laughs> <laughs> this week, uh, obviously, we had the announcement, and Apple have announced a slew of products, including the Apple TV 4K. So, uh, what do we all have to say about that one? It's useless. Uh, <laughs> well, well then, uh, don't hold, don't hold back, Ruth. Tell them what you think. Okay, <laughs> you need a 4K TV to make any difference. Well, yeah, but that's kind of that's kind of a given, though. Exactly, but what's the point? It's like it's exactly the same as the previous model, just made with 4K. Well, it it's it's made with it, it's made so that it's capable 
of outputting 4K through Apple's new HVC or HEVC codec, which yep, takes that- 4K files and supposedly yep. does some magic compression to make them smaller. But that makes no difference if you have a normal TV, which doesn't put out 4K. Yeah, but you could say the same thing about 1080p if your TV set is, you know, 480. True. True. You know, and there's if you look at if you look at like say uh, the Roku boxes and the Amazon boxes, uh, mm-hmm. they've had 4K uh, boxes for a while now. Yeah, for a while. So Apple is actually very very late. Yeah. To this, I my view is that yes, Apple uh, are somewhat uh, what do you say overdue. Really, I'm quite surprised actually that they didn't do 4K when they released the Apple TV version four. That does but, not surprise me. But and... then Apple being Apple, they like to you know drip feed, don't they? Um, I I think it's probably definitely time that they had a 4K box. I'm I'm quite pleased to see that they haven't retired the Apple TV four. So for yeah. those you know those people like me who don't have a 4k tv are unlikely to get a 4k tv because i'll be honest i can barely tell the difference between sd and hd um sd um it downloads quicker <laughs> it does indeed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that don't tell anyone there you have and if you're unlucky enough to live in a land of comcast where there's a download or limits on how much you can download 4K might actually be a bad thing. Uh, I actually, I, I'm a Roku user, and just from my normal, you know, uh, recorded TV and and things like that, you know, such as Direct TV, I actually get very close to my data caps. So adding 4K means that I would be paying quite a bit more than the outrageous prices I already pay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing uh, that. Guy did mention, of course, that Apple, they may have been waiting to bring out their 4K Apple TV until they released their HEVC, which is what, H265? Am I right there, Guy? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, the other thing to remember also is that I don't know for certain whether or not Apple had permission from the content providers. And remember, you know, even though you're buying it from Apple, It is not Apple's content. So at any given time, anyone who who provides uh, video or audio content or apps or or anything else to Apple that you get either through iTunes or, you know, however, um, they could at any time pull the plug and you don't get to have that anymore. And that's worldwide. You know, each country that Apple has iTunes, they have to set up distribution deals with all of the content providers ahead of time. That is true. And of course, if uh, none of the providers, I guess, had uh, you know settled on a 4K deal, and I, I can pretty much make a guess that Apple would not go forward with that until that they had at least a majority of their providers on board. So uh, that, that could be a part of it. You're quite right, Guy. Yeah. And I, I think overall, there's not a lot really to say about the Apple TV 4K other than, yes, at last, 4K for those who like 4K and would like an Apple TV do it. I guess one big thing, which it definitely is overdue for, is for, for some time now, the, the iPhone recorded 4K, your iMac displayed 4 or 5K, but 
you couldn't actually display that on your TV, 4K or not, or at least not directly through an Apple device, and now you can. So I I think it's a good thing, possibly overdue, possibly a little pricey, but everything Apple does is a little bit pricey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you can't deny it's good-looking hardware. I I mean, nobody's going to be embarrassed to have that sitting up on the entertainment center. No, No, that is true. They are very nice-looking little... uh, Things. I mean, we, I've got a Apple TV three and then an Apple TV four, and you know, they're very, they're very nice, aren't they? They're just that svelte little yeah. black box. There's nothing to, uh, they do the job nothing to offend they? anybody, and they do do the job. They are very good. Yes. Okay. Well, next, of course, was the watch. I'm an Apple Watch user. Are you an Apple Watch user, guy? Yeah, I picked up a a Series two from a friend of mine who had also bought a Series one because he couldn't figure out which one he wanted. And once he had both of them, I think it was like his his girlfriend, now his wife, was like, okay, why did you buy two watches again? So he sold yeah. me the Series 1 or the Series 2, which pretty much paid for his Series 1 or, I don't know, it was weird and, and unusual and something like that. <laughs> uh, I actually was not going to get an Apple Watch because originally I, I couldn't see the point of it. This new watch is actually the one that I thought Apple should have come out with in the first place. And the, the, you know, having, being able to have a watch that makes it so I don't have to keep my phone on me for telephone calls and and all the rest of that is what I think they should have come out with in the first place. The problem for me now is that I have a series two. I don't need a series three because I, yeah, I, I don't know the use case for having uh, my phone on my wrist. I, I can't think of one that's going to justify the extra cost along with all the other Apple stuff I want to buy now. <laughs> uh, I've got an original Apple watch. So what we now like to call the series zero, which I bought second hand. Um, and it does me down to the ground. I think it's fabulous. Hmm. I noticed that Apple quite cleverly, I think, have, have produced this time. They've got you know one with cellular and one without because people spe- seem to be split very much into two camps about whether or not you need a cellular connection on your watch. And I'm very much of the opinion like I can't really see any need for such a thing for myself. I can see why other people might like it. So I guess it, it's one of those. It's it's nice to have the hmm. choice. I think. The problem is, though, even if you did want cellular, it doesn't have the R carrier that we have with our SIM. Uh, no, that is true. Here in here in the UK, they've done one of these exclusively available on EE, which means for probably at least the first year, if you're not with EE, you, there's no point buying an Apple Watch with LTE. Um, if you're with any other carrier, you're basically <coughs> out of luck. Well, and yeah. the other thing to remember is it's it, even though it's using the same telephone number as your watch, uh, at least here in the United States, there is at least a $10 surcharge that's put onto your bill for right. having an LTE-enabled watch, which to me is is almost insulting. It's well, like, that's just, you know, we're not using highway robbery. Towers. It is. We're not using extra towers. We're not using extra data. There is nothing different here except that you're either going to send an existing signal message, telephone call, whatever to either, either, not both, either 
my watch or my phone? Why is this costing me $10 a month? Well, that in exactly the same way as when um, smartphones in general, not just Apple, but smartphones in general, started uh, offering tethering, wasn't it? Yeah. And all the carriers immediately said, oh, yes, you can do that. Of course you can. If you give us another $15 a month. Like, right. uh, for a small fee. For what? <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but, for what? But honestly, I can almost understand that because you're using data that you are paying for through your watch or, or through your watch, through your, your phone or your pad or whatever, and you're now pushing that to other devices so that they can use that same data plan. I can almost justify that in my head. In this <laughs> case... In this case, that's just uh, you know, that's just saying. It's like me saying, "Here, guy, here's a, here's a glass of water, and uh, that's fifteen dollars, please." And then if you say, "Ah, uh, well, my wife would like a sip of that water," ah, uh, no, that's another five dollars. But to me, it's almost like, "Here, guy, here's a glass of water for fifteen dollars." Oh, you actually want to drink it? Okay, that'll be another fifteen dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, precisely. Well. I actually just heard that uh, T-Mobile, of all things, is not going to allow LTE data over that phone either, or over the uh, Apple Watch. So it'll be 3G speeds for them. Well, yes, I don't think it's I don't think it's really that big of a deal because most of what people are going to use this for is going to be telephone calls and messaging. So and probably streaming music. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess. And that could get a little tough every now and then. Um, but and that's true. I, it just seems to be one of those deals where you're buying an LTE watch and unfortunately not able to use it as an LTE device. Yeah, mm. that's. Uh, I think that's the classic, oh, you actually want to use this product um, and you're paying us to use it. But by the way, we're going to either right royally screw you or right royally screw you because we can. <laughs> That's how uh, companies work. Well, no, that's certainly how carriers work. That's for sure. So, uh, Sherman, do you are you a smartwatch kind of guy? I, you know, I, I actually I'm not. I I after the death of my last uh, standard watch, I sort of stuck with my phone. And uh, recently, I've been looking at watches, but I've been thinking just more going classic. Uh, I I kind of like going low five whenever possible. Mm. Yeah, well, so I, you know, unfortunately, I'm not in the market for any of the the smartwatch offerings. Uh, I know Samsung's been doing the the tethered phone lines as well for a while. So unfortunately, in one way, the the Apple Watch was sort of one of those items where they really needed to do it to kind of catch up with some of the others. And, and you know, Apple does have a way of cleaning up certain things that other people think of, but maybe they don't quite get it right. Yeah, mm. I, I, uh, I mean, one of one of the big things which Apple did make quite a show of, and that was, of course, that most of the other LTE-enabled watches are what I like to call tuna can on the wrist style, as in they're very big, they're very clunky, and uh, Apple seemed to have done a very good job on this one of keeping the watch basically exactly the same as it was previously, and yet still managing to jam in the LTE and keep the battery life reasonably bearable. I know, I think yeah. it's got a talk time, they suggest the talk time of an an hour but really you know i don't i don't think that many people are going to actually be making many phone calls on on their watches it's a handy thing to have i, I guess if you if you do running or uh, those kind of things or you're a bit outdoorsy mm. but um what i'm wondering yeah. is if you make a call straight from your watch how good is the quality of the sound going to be 
that's well until that's, it comes out we really have no way to know no yeah. we don't i i guess very much of course that apple would suggest that for the best sound quality through your watch you should use um a nice pair of airpods oh to add on that cost <laughs> of course <laughs> yes yes yeah only another 160 dollars that's cool. nothing well you can <laughs> use i mean you don't have to use airpods no you of course you any can. bluetooth enabled uh headphones or earbuds or, or anything like that but they just won't look cool. Yeah. <laughs> they want to make you look as stupid as possible. Are you insinuating, Guy, that my £11 Chinese are cool earbuds are not actually cool? Well, no. I'm, I'm not saying that in theory. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Listen. They're not do, Apple. Do they work? They're not. Do they work? They work. They work okay. very well. well then, and then who the hell cares what they look like? You know, that's well, actually, they look very minimalistic. They're a shiny black, um, you know, small in ear bud. And considering I could buy like 11 pairs for the price of one set of uh, exactly <laughs> AirPods, uh, they're, they're really very good. No, for what I paid for them, they're absolute fab. Mm. And after I bought these for 11 pounds, they brought out for well, 20 pounds a set in a little charging case. Uh, maybe not as slick as the AirPods case, but no, no, they're very good. People shouldn't be judging people. Other people on what their cases look like for Bluetooth. <laughs> who, who the the freaking rack cares what the case looks like for Bluetooth headphones? You know, I, I I see people talking. You know, like it's like the same thing with the. With, well, we're talking about the watch here. Uh, it's the difference between buying Apple uh, approved watch bands. And going on to Amazon and getting one that looks pretty much the same for like $10 as compared to, you know, yeah. $75 to $200 at an Apple store. Mm -hmm. It's yep. a watch strap. Who cares? Exactly. As long as it uh, well, fits perfectly yeah. and it, you know, it's comfortable. Well, see, that's the problem. My problem is, is that, I mean, Ruth, we've never met. I, I am actually a very, oh, let's say large person. I'm very, very tall. So mm -hmm. my wrists, like most wa regular watch bands, don't fit my wrists because my wrists, I have very, very thick wrists. Mm -hmm. People say I'm just thick. <laughs> and I can't disagree. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Ah, oh, right. So, uh, no, overall... I guess the LTE Apple Watch is pretty much what we expected. Um, well, I it's good that you don't one. have to. Well, no. it's, the same, it's the same watch, except now it has LTE. That, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I have a Series Zero, and I'm very happy because I'm you know, it, not it spending does, extra money. It does notifications, which was what I wanted out of it most. I'll be honest. With you. Mm. So great. Uh, okay. Well, and then of course the main event, which everybody had been uh, leading up to, the iPhones eight and. Uh, I'm nearly going to choke on this. <laughs> you mean the X? I'm going to call it the X. I'm going to call it the X because that's they should have called it the X or the Edition in my mind. Calling it 10 just strikes me as farcical. But... So, Sherman, did you have any thoughts on the iPhones 8 and <coughs> X? Oh, you know, it, it, gorgeous looking hardware except for that. That And mind you, this is the same thing that's annoyed me about a lot of phones coming out recently. They've made them so thin that the cameras end up jutting out of the back. And yeah. so to me, it just seems ridiculous to have that, that wonderful piece of, you know, light glass or whatever you want, whatever's going on back there, just sort of hanging out in the wild. Um, but I, I think the other thing that I noticed is, is they're beautiful phones, but if you're like me, if you're spending that kind of money, the first thing you're going to do is cover it up in a case. 
And, you know, well, and yeah, which so, is going to make it thicker anyway. It, it's going to make it thicker. It's going to just sort of make a, you know, hide everything that makes it look so great. Um, I, I run an LG and it looks fantastic without the case, but there's no way in the world I would walk around and hang out in a parking lot and, and, and take a smoke break or something like that and accident, you know, and risk that chance of bouncing it off the blacktop, uh, without it covered. So all those designs just seem sort of lost on me in a way. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I really like the H. I thought that was a really solid update. Um, you know, with the they've got the new G, uh, a new GPU, a new ISP. You know, the new performance controller with a six-core chip. Uh, you know, a really really solid update. I thought the addition of the Qi charging. Mm. I thought that was QE. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's Qi, isn't it? Um, and yeah. we'll, we'll move on to talk about that in a minute because I think that's actually quite interesting, something that I don't normally do. Yeah. Uh, I, I was really impressed with the with the 8s. I thought they were really great. The, the 10 slash X. Um, the price? Well, Ouch. Yeah, there's a lot of people. <laughs> Remember, remember that, I mean, the eight is going to be, I mean, if if you look, if you compare the seven and the eight, there is really not that much difference between, Mm. uh, there's, you know, the camera's a little bit better, yawn, yawn, you know, same thing as every year. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more refined. It has a faster processor, but it's the same phone since the six came out. So, you know, basically if you buy an eight, remember that this is probably going to be the last phone that you see in this style because going forward next year, we're going to be looking at phones that are more like the iPhone 10 as compared Mm. to the six and the seven and the eight, the touch ID button is going to go away. Just like the headphone jack went away. It's not coming back. So the 10 going forward is what the iPhone is going to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that that's good or bad. Um, I haven't had a chance to play with either one of them yet. The, the, the Touch ID for me works. I, I don't know, you know, other than to make the phone physically smaller, which you can do if you take out the Touch ID button, uh, having touch ID doesn't really bother me that much. I, you know, I, having a bigger screen. Sure. That's nice. Having it be OLED. Sure. That's nice. Having it cost me, uh, nearly $1,200. That's not so nice, but not. yeah, but next year, next year when the iPhone, it's not, I don't doubt it's going to be the nine. I don't think we'll ever see an iPhone nine. No. Uh, next year when the iPhone blah, blah, whatever. blah, yeah, whatever it is they end up calling it comes out, it's going to look like the 10 does now. And, uh, oh, it's going to be face. Oh, no, no, don't apologize. It's going to be, you know, face ID and, and, and everything else like that going on. Yeah. And, uh, personally from what we saw on, um, the Apple event, I personally didn't like how the screen went all the way to the corners and it only went around the camera. I think they possibly yeah. could have made it look a little bit smoother, maybe. I personally I didn't like how it looked. It's what, just- what you know what I would have done and they and they can actually do this in software is uh you know the, the screen does go from edge to edge and then you've got the notch that's mm-hmm. that's built into the screen that has some actual hardware in it. Uh there is nothing 
that prevents Apple from making the screen like that, those couple of millimeters smaller and yeah. still, keep, still keep it in the same basic format, but you're not going to have that notch that that's taking away from something that, you know, depending on how you hold the phone, something on either the, the right-hand side or the left-hand side. And you just, you just make the screen less wide, you know, and, and just leave the notch out of it completely. Yeah. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're kind of. Well, I don't think they will for this phone. And, uh, but I, I get the feeling that, that, I mean, a lot of people have complained about this and, and what, what's nuts is all they really need for the camera, for the front facing camera and the IR sensor and the microphone that all sits in that little notch is a very, very small little hole. And all of these could have been done on the little bit of bezel that is still left on the, the, the front part of the phone. You didn't have to have them right there. And you just leave that, that small area for things like how much battery do you have and, and whether you have a Wi-Fi signal or, or if mm -hmm. you're connected to your carrier or whatever. And all of that stuff goes away when you're using an application or you're, or you're watching a television show, you're watching a movie or, or what have you. And, but they can't do that now because all that hardware is still there. So I get the feeling that, that they'll probably for the next phone, move that up just a little bit, just enough to where it's not going to interfere with the screen. Yeah. I, I have the distinct impression that like guy, I, I think, I get the impression that the, the iPhone 10 this year is, is a combination of a kind of technology preview, uh, a special anniversary show-off edition. And um, if you remember, Guy, the way that the original MacBook Retinas were presented, do you sure. remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were like, they were like, we're not getting rid of the MacBook Pros, but this is the new MacBook Pro Retina, um, and it's a, you know, it was a phenomenally expensive price, if I recall at the time. Um, yeah, and, and, it's, it, a and it's come down and, since then. And it's a preview of how you know we think the laptop is going to be, and within a couple of years, that was basically their whole laptop line. And I think that the this iPhone 10 is very much that mm. and it's a kind of introduction it's a certain amount of showing off and technology preview and of course there's the fact that a lot of people have said that they just probably could not produce a, an OLED um, iPhone in sufficient quantities if they went for only OLED iPhones this year they would just never be able to manufacture enough they'd never be able to fill demand well, this, this might be part of, yeah, and this is something that, that I, I've never understood um, with Tim, because Tim Cook is, he was basically Apple's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Logistics, uh, wasn't he? Logistics guy. Yeah, he was the right on time guy for getting the parts to the various manufacturers of Apple products. Well, that works with with some products. With other products, not so much. You kind of have to control the whole widget. So with all the money that Apple has, why not buy into a processor maker for ARM chips? Why not buy into a memory maker? Why not buy into a display maker and start making this stuff for yourself? Yeah, well, very much. And I, I mean, to some extent, they have, haven't they? They've they, you know they they do have holdings in in chip fabs and obviously you know the 
the whole A series, now the A11 Bionic, that's a very silly name. <laughs> what they're going to have next year, the Super Bionic, the Ultra Bionic. Yeah, the, uh, um, the, the Steve Austin edition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what was what was wrong? You know, you added the A8, A9, A10, there's nothing wrong with that. Why do you have to start saying that they're, you know, Super Fusion and turbocharged bionic that's just silliness but anyway well it's, it's marketing yes. well of course it's marketing you know, but it just somebody spends a lot of a lot of good time trying to think of something like that and, and this is the best they come up with for it. <laughs> yeah. but it's like the yeah it was like the ipod ipod mini ipod you know micro ipod nano what what are we gonna have you know ipod angstrom what what are we gonna go from here yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I can see this year, there's been a lot of people talking about how that iPhone 8 is a waste of time and it's boring and why did they do it and, you know, why did they even bother? Well, they'll sell tens upon tens of millions of those apes. Sure. Because there yeah. are a lot of people like me and Guy and John Nemo who, as techno interested as we are, are not prepared to spend $1,000 on a phone because it's got edge to edge OLED um, no me I'm not even convinced that this whole edge to edge fashion is even a great thing what's wrong with having a bit round the edge to get hold of it by no yeah. you <laughs> Do don't want to be really... clicking everything every time you touch your phone no exactly but you know we'll have to see how these things work out a bit like the face ID and we will talk about face ID next but uh, Sherman did you have any particular things to say about the iPhones oh yeah I, well I mean I, I think I'm sort of right there with you guys I, I... It, it looks like this mixture of, you know, something special for this 10th anniversary, as well as a bit of a kind of the concept car look, you know, let's see what we can get away with. You know, what's everyone going to complain about? What's everyone going to fall in love with? What are we going to bring into the next round? Mm. You know, it, I think there's quite a lot of that. You're right, Sherman, because if you put this out there as a test bed, you are going to find, aren't you? You, you are going to get the pushback. And if, if everybody really starts screaming, we hate the notch, then they're going to work on how, how to get rid of the notch. And if, as I suspect, after a month or two, most people won't even notice it, um, they won't need to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think the notch is actually, even though some people are annoyed by it, it might be a little bit silly to to worry about it quite yet because it's like a lot of these areas, uh, the hiding buttons and such um, that they have on some of the newer mobiles. Uh, you know, you learn to get used to certain things, and they may be a, a minor annoyance or or a big deal when they first show up, but then after a little while, you just sort of learn to learn to live with it, and then after a bit, you just start to ignore things about it. And, and I have a feeling that notch is going to become one of those areas. Um, it'll be there. Somebody's going to figure out some tricks to do with the, the areas that there's still a screen, and it'll just kind of become a a, a, you know, a, a nothingness. You know, it's just going to be there, and no one's going to really care about it that much. Yeah, I I very much agree with, and um, I don't think they're the only phone that's uh, had a notch. You know, as as this edge to edge fad, um, you know, has taken hold. There seems to be this, you know, oh, we, to keep up with the fad, we have to do it edge to edge. Well, I'm still not personally convinced that. I mean, sure, it's nice to have to reduce the bezels. You know, you don't need to have half inch bezels. Fine, but I'm still not convinced that having this sort of infinity pool experience actually brings anything to the table. Such as like the Samsung with the 
the screen that go the same. I, yeah. I wasn't a fan of it. It, it just felt uh, uncomfortable to me. I, I, maybe it's just that, that I like that solidness you get around the edge of a phone or mm. a standard screened phone. Oh, and with, and with as well, reason. I don't have particularly large hands. So I, the bigger phones are actually more uncomfortable for me. So I start using them and, and they don't feel like I can hang on to them securely. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, I've, I've got the seven and we were talking earlier about Casey and uh, I don't put my seven in a case because I have the, the this shiny black, what was it? Uh, piano black, jet black. And oddly, despite being, like the super polished one that's actually quite sticky in your hand it's like holding because it's so smooth the the one i had before which was the uh i had the six and i had the space gray which is obviously like a satinized aluminium finish yeah and that was as slippery as a bar of soap oh you could not the keep amount of times it. i have held my phone which was your phone and i've dropped it on my face because i haven't had my case on it the amount of times I come downstairs in the morning with a black eye. Oh, so so you're, admitting, you're, you're admitting that you've dropped your father's phone several times. Well, it's now my phone, but because <laughs> because of the finish, it's well, I have held my dad's phone and um, it's a lot more grippy and it feels like my phone when I have a kind of like silicone jelly case on it. Like the um the yeah the, of the it. shiny the super shiny one is actually quite sticky on your on your skin because yeah. it's so smooth yeah rather than the it's... satinized one which tends to slip out of your fingers but and then of course the other the other big piece of tech in in the ten which is all, all you know the trumpeting is the face ID and. I've heard a lot of people spouting a lot of what if, what if, what if, and it's a bit like I'll I'll admit to me it's a bit like when when Touch ID was coming out and there were all this what about this, what about this. it's like can we just wait until it's in the real world and people are actually using it before we start criticising it because you're just there seems to be a lot of people making a lot of negative noises about something that they haven't even used. Don't know anything about yet. Yeah. What makes, what makes this different from say Samsung's um, previous version of facial ID is the IR camera or the IR sensors that are built into this. Yeah. It's there's 30,000, 30,000 points of light are basically hitting you in the face and mapping, not just the way you look, but all the contours of your face as well, which is something that the Samsung phone did not do. Oh, yeah. I mean, technically, this is, that's the other thing. There's a lot of people spouting a lot of, well, I'll be honest, nonsense, uh, mm. you know, about Face ID, assuming, you know, talking about it as if it's just a camera, you know, like looking at your, looking at your selfie camera. That, that's not how it works at all. And no, it's not. So all this rubbish about, um, I mean, I listened to Craig Federighi. He was on John Gruber's talk show. It was only like a 20-minute interview because, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, Craig's pretty busy. And he did go on and talk about the quote-unquote face ID fail at, at the event. But he yeah. also talked a lot about the technology in um, in the face ID, how it works. And John Gruber did say to him, you know, a lot of people have talked about what about if I'm wearing, you know, if I'm wearing my sunglasses. And as he said, well, most glasses, because it's a, an IR depth sensor, it makes no, no difference whatsoever whatsoever yeah apparently there are some types of sunglasses that contain a uh, a particularly reflective you know the sort of things you might use if you were going skiing or if you were going to look at eclipses yes so you know which (laughs) 
which actually can reflect the IR. And then he goes, well, in that case, you've got sort of two Take choices, off. haven't you? you? Take your glasses off, um, resort to entering your pin, or uh, <laughs> just buy new, buy new glasses. <laughs> you know, it's sort of separate from the rest of the phone processes, too. Or yes. am I misunderstanding how that works? No, no. no that, I, that, that's they, absolutely they've got true. A, they've got a special processor, haven't they, I believe? Yeah, or at least... Uh, well, I, just, I don't know if it's a separate... Pro- processor but it certainly is a separate process yes there's a whole there's a whole chain of stuff dedicated to dealing with it that's for sure right yeah. and, and, and quickly i don't really have a problem with the face id from a technical point of view i think apple have really put a lot of work into that and i suspect that's incredibly clever and probably very very reliable there are certain things about using face id over touch id that i at the moment think might be somewhat annoying but again until you're using it in the real world i don't think it's anybody's in a real position to make any judgments though i I, i'm really going to get a kick out of uh as this becomes a little more prevalent to see everybody wandering around like they're they're doing snapchat you know (laughs) (laughs) you know everyone's standing around at starbucks and and trying to point their phones in the right direction especially the ones that that buy in on the cheap end of the scale you know in about five years yeah dodgy cheap face id (laughs) beep failed beep failed (laughs) definitely um and of course, the other the other piece of technology that Apple announced with all the phones, the eights and the tens, um, was that that they're adding Qi charging, inductive charging. I'm not going to call it wireless because it's not wireless, is it? Inductive. No, no it's wireless. The, uh, the actual pad that you place it on is wired. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's an inductive charger, like the watch. And uh, I'll start calling it wireless when we get Nikolai Tesla transmitted power, and my phone <laughs> charges simply by being in the room with the transmitter. Thank you very much. Um, now, you'll but, glow at the end of it also, but, you know, I mean, you take yeah, the bad the, with the well, good. that's what Mark <laughs> says to me. You know, Mark keeps telling me I'll be pickled in RF. And I said, we're pickled in RF already. What difference is it going to make? Um, <laughs> this is quite quite a break for Apple, though, isn't it? Um, it's a long time coming. Standard. Well, there's a long time coming, Sherman. You're right there. But it's also quite unusual for Apple to adopt somebody else's standard. Mm. Well, what what choice did they really have? You know, I mean, you the, the whole point of wireless charging is you're at a coffee shop or the airport or someplace away from home and you need you need a charge for your phone. Well, if everyone has not everyone, but if a lot of these places have a pad that uses the, the Qi standard and you're on an iPhone that doesn't use a Qi standard, you know, are you going to insist that all of these same places buy whatever Apple's standard yep, is? Or do you just go ahead and use the one that, that has been around for a while and, you know, works? Well, I'm you no. Know, I for one am very glad to see them ad- adopting an existing standard because, for example, they could have gone down the Apple Watch route and had a, a proprietary, you know, magnetic inductive charge. But I'm really pleased to see that they haven't, if for no other reason than um, obviously. My wife has it's time for her to have a new phone, so she signed up for an Apple Eight, uh, the iPhone Eight, um, and she said, "Does it come with a, you know, with a Qi wireless charge?" And I said, no, it doesn't. But you can go on Amazon and you can get uh, a Qi standard charging plate for about four dollars. Yeah, yeah. No, if it if if it wasn't for that, if it was an Apple provided one, it would be forty dollars. No, let's face it, when they can charge you fifteen dollars for a cable. If if you look at what Apple is doing with Qi, 
um, yeah, you can, you can go and get a relatively inexpensive wireless pad that uses that standard and use that for any of your devices. However, you'll need a separate one for each one of those devices. And at what point does it become, you know, I should have just brought all my cables because that seems to be uh, a lot faster. Now, the wireless pad that they're supposed to come out with next year, you can have up to three devices on it. At yeah. that point, it starts to make more sense because you can take that. your phone and your watch and, you know, whatever other wireless charging device that you have but, and put them all on the same pad. But you do realize, you do realize, Guy, that that air power pad is not strictly a Qi standard because your phone may be Qi standard, but your watch is not, and nor is the AirPods charging case. That okay. Is... Does it matter if if, no. if you if you have all of those devices and they're um you know they're all Apple devices and they will charge on this pad as oh, well yes. as say any other device. It's not even necessarily with Apple that uses the Qi standard, they'll all charge on this pad. That so true. the only thing, the only thing that, that's kind of cool. Yeah. What you cannot put your, you cannot put your Apple watch on a Qi plate and charge it. So this air power thing that Apple are building is kind of a Qi plus some Apple proprietary stuff. Yeah. Mm. Because I saw them put the pad, put their watch on there and it started to oh, charge. Yeah. And it does because, but what I'm saying is that pad they're building is aimed at people who you know, are like us, are within the Apple uh, sphere. And so we're likely to have an Apple Watch and an AirPod. Okay, well, I mean, that, and that's fine. But it you is. know the, the the point I was I was making was that you you don't necessarily only have to use that pad no, with Apple devices. You could you could throw uh, a, a Samsung cell phone on there along with an iPhone and and probably even the next generation iPads and and charge them all. It it you know oh, it, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Apple just builds in support for other devices they have that don't use the Qi standard. Yeah, at least not much. yet. And the, but the big what I'm saying is I, they could have simply put in their own proprietary charging into the phone, like the watch and the sure. thing. And people, you know, a lot of Apple buyers would have gone along with it. But I'm really glad to see them uh, introducing a standard because it means yes, you can go out and buy a four dollar charging pad, or yeah, or use or use a charging pad that that's in an airport or or someplace exactly. away from home. You know that these standard pads that are starting to turn up in Starbucks and at pubs and restaurants, uh, and and that's great. So I'm I'm really pleased to see that. The other thing I was really pleased to see uh, was that the as we did say that the difference between the eight or the 8 and the 10 is really very much just the screen and the face ID. Mm. You know, they contain the same set of processors. They contain the same, basically the same guts. So despite all this talk about, you know, buying an 8 is somehow second class, it's not because the 10 is really, you've got the same guts, but they've stuck on this, you know, the yeah. OLED screen yeah, and it's, the face it's, ID. It's the, A11, it's the A11 bionic chip. It's, yeah. uh, I think that the 10 may have a little more RAM. I'm not sure at the top of my well, head. I don't, I don't but know the that they actually explicitly said, but the, well, the, the eight and the 10 have more alike than they have differences. Exactly. That that's, you know, you, if you don't wish or cannot stretch to a 10, you do not have to feel you're getting a second class phone because it's in turn a basic. And yeah. I was really pleased. I was really pleased by it. 
because I think it would have been easy and lazy, but it would have been easy for Apple to kind of go, well, here's the eight, and it's it's the seven, it's the seven with some with some more bells and whistles, and here's the ten, and it's got you know an A12, and it's got this, and it's got that, and then everybody would have kind of felt well. If I can't aff- if I can't afford ten, I'm having to settle for sort of second class. So yeah. I-, I was really pleased to see that. Oh, though you know you're definitely going to have some people that are going to feel that way anyhow. Um, well, you know, there, you know, there's always that sub subgroup of people that are going to go after the ten because even if it's only an incrementally, or you know, at least at at that processor RAM type level, uh, only incrementally different. Uh, you know, there's still that 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 uh, what do you call it? <laughs> yeah, there's sort um, of um, well, there's always I'm, some people who just feel they have to go to, all the way to the top of the ladder. Yeah, look what I got. <laughs> look what, yeah, exactly. And um, talking about look what I got, one thing we didn't mention is the the Apple Watch, the new Apple Watch, uh, the top of the range. If you get the, I think it's only the LTE one, but the 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 digital crown has a red insert. Uh, if you've seen the, oh yes, pictures. yes, yeah, yeah, right. Well, I I. Because I have the black matte black sport uh, series zero, I was thinking that if I nip down to Boots and buy some super super red nail varnish, I could paint the end of my digital crown bright red, and then it would look like I've got a series three. I Sneaky. give it about four months, and uh, one of those uh, you know tastemakers for the whole, watch. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's <laughs> going to come out with the red red button. Oh well, th- apparently there's alre- there's already a company who do. <laughs> Uh, crown tip inserts because uh, I don't know the, the original edition had coloured inserts. The the gold one, the sort of ten thousand dollar one, had coloured inserts in the digital crown. And now I believe there's a company who sell at the moment like little stick on um, crown caps. So uh, and they do a whole range of colours which are meant to obviously complement the straps. But I think they're going to have a huge uplift in their sales of red ones. Yes. I, I bet they will. <laughs> <laughs> People will be rushing out to get red inserts to put on their watches so that you can't tell whether they've got a three or not. <laughs> They'd only find out when they made that mistake when they go, what Apple Watch do you have? And they just slip it out by the, um, they slip out the wrong name yeah. of it. And... <laughs> Caught out. Yeah. Oh, dear, dear. Well, We've pretty much covered the thing there. I've got one more thing in the notes here, which is from CNET, which is uh, seven settings to change right away on iOS 11. Um, and it's in the show notes. And it's a handy little uh, set of seven items which are basically new or changed in iOS 11. And when you upgrade to iOS 11, it's probably well worth checking out. So there are, uh, for example, the location settings apple have removed the option for app makers to say you must either have location on or not on Um, Mm. apple have enforced a third option which is this app can use my location data but only whilst i'm using the app it's what it should have been in the first place probably should have been in the first place but it's now added and for example the other one of the other ones is if you go to the camera settings you can say whether or not you want to use the new HEVC HEIF formats or not I can't see why you wouldn't want to use them but uh, (laughs) use the new high efficiency formats or stick with the older more compatible 
And there's a list of seven there, um, and that's actually quite an interesting set of things. Yeah. So, uh, what shall we do now? I'll tell you what, uh, having talked about Qi charging, why don't we let John open his hardware store, because I believe he has a Qi charging item for us. Take it away, John. If you're feeling jealous because your current iPhone does not have wireless charging, there's a company called Bezalel, B-E-Z-A-L-E-L, Bezalel.co, that has wireless charging units for you at an affordable price. It's a two-component system. One component is the case that snaps onto the back of your phone, like a regular case, and the other component is a gripper that goes into one of the grill vents in your automobile, clamps in, and then it gets its power from the 12-volt adapter, your old cigarette lighter, using a USB cable and a USB-C fitting. It's not easy to describe, but in action it's very, very easy. You put your phone into the case. We have a black case for review. You slip in a little lightning cable that's built in to the case. Then you insert the wireless car charger into the grill of your dashboard on your car, connect it to the power source in your car, the 12-volt power source, and then you just set your iPhone onto this charger. It holds it there beautifully, horizontal or vertical portrait or landscape, using a magnet. We like magnets very much. Everything is black. You can have any color you want as long as it's black. The price of the units are $60 for the charger and $50 to $60 for the case, depending on whether it's a standard size or a jumbo size phone. We will have the links on our website in our show notes for this episode so you can look these products up yourself. It sounds complicated, but for roughly $100 U.S., you can turn your 6, 6S, 7, or any of the corresponding plus sizes into a wireless charging iPhone. It works. It's fast. It's secure. It's stylish. It's stable. It's well-designed. I think the price is reasonable. And have a look at this at bezalel.co. The case we got is called the Latitude L-A-T-I-T-U-D-E, wireless charging receiver, iPhone case. The 6 one happens to be compatible between the 6 and the 6S, and then the 7 has a slightly different model. The part that goes into the car vents is called the Omnia, O-M-N-I-A, wireless car charger. You buy these separately, and currently you can get 10% off with the code TXLOVE, that's TX as in Texas, will donate 10% to Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. It says right on the top of their website, this is a great wireless solution if you like this style of case and if you want to go for wireless charging. They have other products also. Check them out at bezalel.co. That's it for this week from Nemo's Hardware Store. Back next week. And thank you very much for that, John. Uh, Unfortunately, I did have a look for those products on Amazon.co.uk. The car charger doesn't seem to be available, and only one size of the iPhone cases is available. But 
unlike John said, that it was available in any colour but black, but actually that's not true. You can have it in black or white. And this is, of course, the place where we give everybody the obligatory Amazon affiliate link spiel. You know how it goes. Follow the Amazon affiliate link, do your shopping, and whatever you buy, we get a very small cut. And we use that small pot of money to invest in the show in equipment or paying for hosting and the like. Anyway, this week there's been a bit of a brouhaha about an exploit for Bluetooth which has become known as Blueborn. Now the original article I had for this and linked was from the Telegraph uh, which explained how uh, this problem could let hackers take control of Apple, Samsung and Google devices and then said basically that Google, Microsoft, and Apple had all patched their operating systems to uh, prevent this. But I, I then read uh, a piece, also linked in the show notes, by DZone Security, which explains a lot more about uh, how this works and the problems in the Bluetooth stack that allow it to happen, and makes it clear that there's a lot more to it than just the obvious Android, Windows, Mac, Linux uh, environments, which uh, obviously can be patched. Although, of course, people with cheap, older Android devices that never get updates are in a bit of a hole. Or old Bluetooth devices. Mm. Well, indeed. Um, and Sherman, you, you said that you read something about this? I I had done some reading about that. I mean, you know, of course, as as we keep adding more and more devices to make our lives easier, it seems like we keep falling into the same traps. Uh, you know, a few years ago, there were the hacks in the cars using uh, the drive-by-wire technology and the cell phone connections and a few other things. Um, I, I guess recently there was insulin pump that was hacked. It looks like it was off of their wireless connection. I guess they had a remote control and you could hack into that signal. And, you know, what was it, a, a little while back, Ford was having problems with their their uh, entertainment system being hackable. Uh, it seems like we, we keep chasing after a lot of convenience and unfortunately don't think about what we're doing. I mean, we're all guilty of it, I think, at one level or another. Uh, Bluetooth, um, how many times do you really think about what you're connecting to when you're connecting Bluetooth? Um, we just look at the numbers, go, yeah, they match, okay. Um, I, I think it really just sort of boils down to that as these types of convenience technologies come out and become more and more common is, is that people really stop looking at the stop being as concerned about it. Um, you know, think a few years ago when Wi-Fi really first started jumping on, um, everybody was paranoid about it. And nowadays, do you really think about uh, an open access point hanging around when you're out shopping? <laughs> You know, you, you just see one, you go, oh, great, I can now connect my phone. And I know five, six years ago, if I saw something like that, I'd be like, is this a legitimate access Yeah, point? that's true. Mm. Well, the, the D-Zone security piece, the guy there goes into some depth uh, talking about how the, we really need to be designing in security as basic ground rules, that it needs to work from pretty much from the silicon up, that the whole stack needs to be that we right. can no longer um, put these things together and then try and tack the security on afterwards. But that seems to be what 
they do with every single one of these standards. It's not until it's not until somebody says, "Wow, you realize that your phone will explode if you do this." Oh, really? Oh, well, I probably shouldn't do that then. The thing with the Bluetooth, as the guy in the piece points out, is that Bluetooth is is actually quite an old standard, and that the apparently the the manual of how to build a Bluetooth stack is several thousand pages long, and so you know everybody pretty much be it Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, they you have to buy your Bluetooth components off the shelf. You know, it's just almost impossible to do otherwise. And this guy is just saying, some of it there's not a lot we can do about now, but moving forward, you know, when we build these stacks, they need to be created security first, ground up. Right. I don't even think the original thoughts of Bluetooth weren't, weren't even that uh, great. I mean, we're doing a lot of things with Bluetooth that... It, when that when it first came out, they weren't even considering. I, these are real short range connections, real, you know, limited connections, limited devices, limited devices to be used, and we've really grown that that without thinking about the security as that we That is add. very much true, isn't um, it? I mean, yeah. originally, I mean, no, you're right, Sherman, because I mean, originally, I remember Bluetooth was very much a case of it was almost like that kind of you can transfer a picture from one phone to another, but you you practically had to bump them together to do it. It was right. The the range was a foot or two, and it was put out. Yeah, well, you could have a wireless keyboard to your to your desktop computer. Um, but and we have we've just extended and extended. And now, of course, last week I was talking about um Bluetooth mesh, where these you know like mesh Wi-Fi. Now they're talking about doing Bluetooth mesh, so that you can extend the range of of your Bluetooth. Well, almost infinitely, effectively. So that if you've got your Bluetooth headphones on and you've got a Bluetooth mesh set up, you could go, you know, not into the next room, 30, 40 foot away, you go 30, 40 yards away. And and these things, they just take on a life of their own. And if the if the security wasn't thought about originally, I, I think it's, uh, we just didn't think, what, 15 years ago or whatever, when these things were, were born, about how they were going to explode. And I guess it would be almost impossible for uh, anybody to have predicted that. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, nowadays I do QA work, so it, it's amazing how much thought, it still goes into a lot of these these bits of technology. I I'm constantly thinking about stuff, but then somebody invariably, the minute I get out, and even if I spend weeks and weeks going, what about this? What about that? What about these items? Somebody's going to find something you've never even considered. Uh, and so it seems like you're always playing a game of catch up as far as security and uh, vulnerabilities go. Constant cat and mouse, isn't it? Um, absolutely unbelievable. And while we're talking about security, I would just do uh, the worth a chirp. I have a worth a chirp. Uh, there's a couple of podcasts I've I've picked up on recently. Uh, one is called The Grumpy Old Geeks, uh, which you can find at grumpyoldgeeks.com, uh, which is a look at what went wrong on the internet this week and who is to blame for it, uh, which is rather an amusing podcast. Uh, they swear a bit, but uh, certainly probably not child-friendly. But other than that, for those of us over, uh, you know, those of us who are grown-ups, it's a very good podcast and they talk about a lot of stuff other than technology they talk about books and films and all sorts of other things and uh as an offshoot from that they have a they have a segment called uh, security ha <laughs> and uh they have a guy on there who is from the Cyberwire podcast and as a result of that I have started listening to the Cyberwire podcast which is 
It describes itself as a daily podcast on the threads out there in cyberspace. Uh, I'm not sure it's actually daily. I seem to get one pretty much every other day. Uh, and that is a really interesting, uh, if sometimes rather scary well, it, podcast. It is every day. It's just by go- going every other day, it's a security measure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are they half as likely to get hacked? Exactly. <laughs> See? <laughs> but uh, no, if you are interested in, um, you know, InfoSec or uh, the sort of internet security, that is a podcast well worth taking a listen to. It's usually about 20 minutes long. As I say, that can be a little bit scary, but they talk about the various things on you know, HBO hacks and Mr. Smith and cryptocurrency malarkeys and all sorts of things. Mm. Well, Moving on to something perhaps a little more cheery, or not, depending on your point of view. Uh, Google.com was created 20 years ago. Now, so 20 years ago, Google.com was registered. They didn't actually launch the uh, Google site until uh, the 27th of September 1998, so a year later. Google actually will probably officially celebrate their 20th birthday themselves next year. But the Google.com was registered 20 years ago today. And isn't that a frightening thought? 20 years. <laughs> and then they took over hey, the world. You find that a little bit frightening? <laughs> yeah. I, I know they own a good chunk of my soul. <laughs> Nearly 20 years since Google went live. Dear, oh dear. Okay. And the National Geographic had a piece saying uh, electric cars may rule the world's roads by 2040. Which actually doesn't particularly surprise me. Do you have any thoughts on that, Sherman? I know you're a bit of a petrol head. Oh uh, well, as it, <laughs> being a getterhead, <laughs> very much so. I mean, it seems really strange that a few years back I wouldn't even consider the the concept of a hybrid car, much less an electric car. And uh, fairly recently, my wife and I we've we've been talking about that Tesla three. You know, unfortunately, in Utah, we're not allowed to have a, an actual Tesla dealership because they don't sell, do a standard dealership type scenario where a, a private entity comes and, and, and sells cars for them. So we have to actually go out of state in order to pick up a Tesla. Um, so for us, we have to take a 400 mile drive or sorry, maybe more like a 300 mile drive just to get to a dealership that sells Teslas. And yeah. I'm seeing them all over the place now. <laughs> run out, so run that out means people are actually going into Las Vegas or Colorado or wherever else there's a dealership and bringing them here. They, they're really just a handy car, right? In a lot of ways, if you're you're an in-city driver or, or relatively shorter distances, a couple hundred miles is nothing in those things. It's really kind of fantastic. Yeah. I think yeah. electric cars are a very interesting, interesting concept, seeing as, you know, in the morning you have to, or at night you have to plug in your phone, you know, plug in everything else, and then also plug in your car. <laughs> going to be a very weird habit having to you know plug in your car at the wall and charge it full of electric and not fuel and but i also think it's a very good idea because it will you know maybe it will save money um but who knows although obviously technically speaking an electric car is not as energy efficient as as a a hydrocarbon burning internal combustion engine but the problem with internal combustion engines is they're dirty and they pollute. Now, you, you still have to generate this electricity somehow, but 
at least even if you're doing it by burning hydrocarbons in a power station, yeah. you're burning it all in one place and you can have CO2 scrubbers and air filter pollution removal techniques. But of course, I'm pretty sure that in the next 15 or 20 years, more and more electric is, is going to be generated by renewables. You know, I mean, Apple already claimed to run their company 95% on renewable, renewable energy. And if one of the most profitable companies in the world can do it, then I'm pretty sure there's no reason that with a bit of coercion most other people can't do it either yeah absolutely though i do think that the the real big challenge may start to come in as these vehicles get old enough to need more major repairs um because right now I, we own you know cars from a few different eras i as you were mentioning i, I am a bit of a petrol head and so i have motorcycles from the 70s i have uh oh, you nice. know 20 something year old suburban i have you know so we we've got cars and motorcycles from a few different decades and i know that generally speaking i can go out and rip a part off and put a new one on it and, and be back on the road if something goes wrong i mean you know of course there's always limits to everybody but when you start talking about these large battery packs um i think that's going to be one of those areas that until we reach a point where those kind of parts can be replaced and I'm not going to say and cheaply, recycled. but replaced and recycled and perhaps serviced by someone other than a specialist. That may be the biggest hurdles that they've got. Charging isn't a big deal per se. Unless you're going long distance. Exactly. But for the average person, they're going 5, 10, 20. The, to, to me, the, the, the problem with electric cars is that each company that makes electric cars has their own standards for the batteries. The one advantage that cars that run on gasoline or diesel have is that they all have a common fuel source. And it doesn't really matter whether you you get your fuel from Golf or Exxon or Shell yeah. or, or whoever. It's all going to work. I was very much going to say, uh, when Sherman was talking about servicing the batteries, I was going to say one of the things they really need, I think, is the industry is going to have to come up with a standard battery format so that every single car every single truck and you don't even have to have like okay well this is a car so we have to have this kind of battery this is a truck so we have to have this kind of battery this is a semi-tractor trailer so we have to have this kind of battery you come out with one kind of battery pack and if you're in a truck you have two of those if you're in a tractor trailer you have four of them or whatever it is that you yeah. need. I think it's going to have to be that way, isn't it? It's going to have to be a, a selection. And I suspect it's actually going to be a, a thing where you need a bank of them. So, I don't know, you know, a family saloon might have four or six cells. And a, 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 and as you say, it doesn't really matter. However, but you wouldn't even need to do that. You, you, I mean, we're going to have all of these gas stations that more and more are going to be completely superfluous. Yeah. Super, super, I can't <laughs> Access to requirements. Yes. <laughs> so what you have is, and you know, because remember, it, it, it doesn't work this way so much in the UK, but here in the United States, you can have these vast distances that uh, people that are shipping whatever have to cover. So instead of having a, a station that's going to sell you fuel, 
you pull into one of these stations, a guy comes out, pulls off however many battery packs that you have very, very quickly, puts on fully charged ones, and then off you go. So he, then he takes the ones that you came in with that have almost no charge left in them, hangs them on a wall, recharges them for the next person that comes in. And yeah. in this and in this case, it's basically fulfilling the same use as what gasoline stations did. You're driving somewhere between, say, and you know they're becoming more efficient all the time. You're driving somewhere between three and five hundred miles, and when you hit that three to five hundred mile mark, wherever it is that that your packs are going to be, you know, devoid of a charge, you pull in. They get replaced ten, fifteen minutes later. You're back out on the road again. Even with fast charging, you're still looking at 30 to 60 minutes for a, a really significant charge. And when you're talking about replacing all, yeah, every I, single I gasoline powered car with an electric car, where are you go where are all these people gonna hang out while they're waiting for their turn to plug in someplace? Yeah. Yeah, I I very much think that you're you're right, guy. I uh, I mean it might not be so much so if you talk about, you know, your suburbans, your little mm-hmm. leafs, your little runabout That's fine. cars. And you can just plug, that, in, you know, they, plug it in when you get home at night. They could be plugging at night, but for for longer distances, you're going to have to have that kind Keep of thing. So yeah, like you say, you're you're going up the freeway, the motorway, call it whatever, and you get the red light that says charge nearly exhausted and you pull in to the service station and yeah, while you go and get a coffee and, and uh, have a comfort break, they whip out your battery cells, put in new ones, and as you say, take those away to be charged. You, you know, you pay them whatever the charge whatever is. Whatever the fee. So if, for, if it's, let's, and let's say it's it's 50 US dollars. Hmm. And, and that, it doesn't matter what it right. is, does it? Because the, 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 in some ways, the, if, if you've got standardized cells, it's a bit like the propane cylinder thing or the butane cylinder when you go and buy your first camp when you go and buy your first camping gas box you pay a lot of money for it because some of the money is tied up in the in the pressure vessel bottle Mm. itself but forever after when you want more gas you don't have to pay you know a hundred pounds or a hundred dollars for it you take back the old cylinder and exchange it for a new one and you shouldn't pay them for the the, the gas and that's what you're going to be doing you're going to be pulling into a station they will remove the discharged cells put in new ones charge you the charge you the price for whatever that is and away exactly. you go yeah. definitely and i mean we have some of those fast charging stations out here on the way to las vegas and such um and half an hour i've actually noticed now mind you i have a family of four and sometimes we have extended family doing road trips so uh half an hour is actually pretty much standard for a stop for us anymore nonetheless 30 minutes especially like when i'm going on a solo trip is a bit excessive so it would be nice to have both of those options the fast charging stations plus maybe a standardized size almost like uh the land of double a's for cars but we'll see what happens i i think they're getting closer to it i mean we had the disparity of charging connections for a long time and now they're they're kind of narrowing down on a handful of standards so that's proving to make life a little bit easier for us or, or for electric yeah. drivers that sort of tech. yeah and- I, I think Sherman, that sort of tech it's like it, it's like if you think back i don't know what was it 15 20 years every damn mobile phone had its own proprietary charge exactly every computer every laptop seemed to have its own bloody stupid connector <laughs> and gradually gradually it's got 
closed down and you know now we're really pretty much looking at USB-C becoming almost a true universal standard yes exactly right guy I know you've got to shoot off so thanks for coming on mate it's all right no it's absolutely fine thank you for coming on at short notice after we uh had a couple of guys drop out Uh, Dougie was sick and Barry had some work crisis occur and he couldn't make it so thank you for coming on at incredibly short notice not a problem and uh Absolutely fantastic to have you. See you soon. Okay, bye. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it between um, a combination of standardized charging points and replaceable standardized cells, I think if, if we are really going to push towards a world where everything's electric, those are going to have to happen. You can't have a world where you, you know, you're running out of charge and you pull into a station and say, I need to plug in. And they go, oh, well, sorry, you've got a Ford and we've only got Nissan and something yeah. else yeah. chargers. That's yeah. no good, is We're it? only a Chevy electric truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not going to work, is it? Which is what Guy was saying quite rightly. You know, the, the one benefit of internal combustion engines is it doesn't matter what gas station you pull into, unleaded is unleaded or diesel is diesel. You put it in the tank and away yeah. you go. I mean, what what I think would be an interesting idea is how um, it would be interesting an electric car had kind of with that idea of like replaceable um, like batteries maybe like kind of like how you can get portable batteries but instead mm-hmm. like it's kind of built into the car if that makes sense so you'd bring like right. I don't know kind of a spare battery or something like that and you'd put it on a certain bit and it would lock, lock in and while you're driving it would charge so okay um, that's i mean i think that in part is what guy and, and i are talking about a standardized cell but you're saying are you talking about possibly having energy recovery from the braking also partly charging up a second yeah. cell yeah? yeah that would at okay. least give you a an emergency backup wouldn't it that's not a bad yeah. idea interesting concept well, it's been very interesting recording this podcast, people. Uh, Wire has severely let us down. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> With an endless supply of dropouts and failures. And I am going to have one hell of an editing job. All I have to say now, really, is uh, thank you very much, Sherman, for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Guy, for coming on. Thank you, Ruth, a.k.a. Cutie Mellon, for joining You're me. You're welcome. It's been a most interesting podcast. I think it's time now to say goodbye. So thank you very much for coming on, Sherman. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, maybe we can do it again and hopefully have a less eventful uh, connection. Definitely. I had a lot of fun. I I would love to be on again someday. Excellent. And would you like to tell anybody where they can reach you if you so desire? Uh, Well, best places to reach me, of course, are are on uh, Slack for Essential Apple and... uh, geekculture.com I, I still kind of browse around in the back corners there so uh, otherwise I, I live a nice quiet life in, in uh, the state of Utah okay alright Ruth would you like to tell everybody where they can find sure. you you can find me on Twitter don't really use it that much but feel free at cutiemelon321 and the slack room obviously at essential apple and pretty much it you can of course be found on YouTube can't yeah. you as exactly how you expect to spell it (laughs) cutie melon (laughs) um no space i should be the first one to pop up please feel free to subscribe i'm almost at 70 subscribers i think i can be found on the twitter as at serenac that's s-e-r-e 
A-N-A-K. Uh, Mark is at Ocean Speed. You can follow the show as at Essential Apple. And of course, you can follow our website. You can find us on Pinecast, Google+, Facebook, uh, and probably anywhere else that we can find to stick our drivel. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And this show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find such other excellent shows as Bart Boo Shots Let's Talk podcasts. You can listen to the My Mac show with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men. There are the three geeky ladies, the tech fan, the geekiest show ever, and uh, all the Nintendo Club podcast and more. So I think for today, that's it. And goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, goodbye and good luck. <laughs> Have fun. Looking for a podcast to get your geek on? Then listen to my favorite ladies podcast, The Three Geeky Ladies. Join Alyssa, Suze, and Vicky as they discuss tech products and other topics that caught their attention. The Three Geeky Ladies podcast on the My Mac Podcasting Network. Evacuate. Evacuate.